Hello and welcome back to Bombapo, the Scandinavian La Liga podcast, the low-energy Scandinavian La Liga podcast, because I don't know about you, Alexander Jonsson, but, well, I do know about you because I just asked you. I'm tired, man. There's been a lot of football. Good selling point to start the podcast. We are tired and there is no energy. Let's go. Vamos. Listen to us. We can't be arsed. Um, no, but, I mean, okay, so... What we should say is that there was a really, really great game on last night. We'll start there because it was the biggest game of the weekend. The game that has more or less decided the La Liga title race the last two years because this has been the game where a gap has opened up that was irreversible for Atletico Madrid in the two previous seasons when he finished second. Uh, and so it was last night that Barcelona opened up an even bigger gap on them. But I want to ask you because I guess you're maybe more objective about these things because you tend to focus on the teams in northern Spain. I thought this was a surprisingly entertaining game for an Atletico Barca, which have not always been the most open matches in the world in recent years. Well, the thing with Atletico Barca for me is that I was at an Atletico Barca match at the Calderon, which when I ever I hear Atletico Barca, I think about that match. And that's the most entertaining football match I've been to in my life because of what happened on the pitch, because of what happened off the pitch. Uh, it was the Copa del Rey a few years ago when... Out of that run for a boot at linesman, I think Jordi Alba was hit by the linesman's flag at some point. Uh, we had name, Barca were playing like Atletico and Atletico were playing like Barca, which was really weird. And lots of goals, lots happening. Um, we had a player being arrested before the match started because he closed a car door on a policeman's hand and I even forgot what player it was. Well, it's remember it was someone who was suspended for uh, yeah. Atletico. Yeah. Let, let's not name any names if we can't remember yeah. it for the sake of legal exactly. <laughs> assistance. But... but but I remember like the reactions in the press box. Like, did you read that? Did you read that? Did you hear that? And then as soon as something had calmed down, something happened on the pitch or off the pitch, and Gabi was sent off in the at half time in the player tunnel. It's just things happening nonstop. So for because of that match, for me, Atletico Barca is always crazy. Yeah because um, that's the, the thing that tops my head. But, but as you say, it's, uh, as of late, it, it hasn't been uh, as much. But yesterday, it was a really, really good game, I have to say. It was very entertaining. And I think I said that when we were watching. I think it's only Barca, Atletico t- that can be like this in the way that you can have so many chances that are so incredible, but it's still nil-nil because of the two goalkeepers they have, of Oblak yeah. and Ter Stegen, who are just insane. Like, had it been football like that in any other match, you would have had a lot more goals than just one goal at the end of the match because of those two keepers. Actually, for me, there's been, if we're weighing up, not just best keepers in the world, but best keepers in La Liga. For me, Oblak's been in front for a while, but I feel like this season now is the one where Ter Stegen is maybe starting to pull ahead. Oblak's not had the best uh, couple of months, certainly by his standards. And I mean, well, we can talk more in detail about it later, but some of the saves, like the one from Marata, is just absurd. I mean, I have no idea how he gets enough power in his wrists to turn that away when it's so close. Um, and that's the thing I think we maybe forget about Ter Stegen because he's so good with his feet and that's so attractive to watch that you forget that he's a really, really good shot stopper as well, which he needs to be more and more. No, I, no, I agree. I've always been on the on the Oblak side of, of this debate because I'm really, really big fan of Oblak and I think he's been incredible over the couple, last couple of years for Atleti and also been in a way a bit underrated just because he's playing for Atletico and he's not playing for Barca or Real Madrid. Um, and that makes a debate different than then that he still is considered by so many as the best keeper in the world while you at the same time feel he's, he's underrated. I think says a lot. Uh, but yeah, I think that both uh, that Oblak maybe haven't lived up to the same standard this year, 
but more than anything that Tresen is just on an incredible uh, format at the moment and very, very consistent in that form as well. So, uh, and, and yesterday he was, even though both of them were really good yesterday, the saves that Ter Stegen did was out of this world. I mean, everyone, I think it's commonly accepted by now, but if there's anyone who had any remaining doubts, that the idea that Ter Stegen is not Germany's number one is just absurd because he's so good. And he dominates, that's a very Spanish way of saying it, but he, well, we'll use that. He, he dominates every aspect of the goalkeeping game. Everything that you need to be a top goalkeeper, he is exceptionally good at. Um, and he's still getting better. That's the scary thing. He seems to be improving. Um, speaking of number ones, I guess we should get this out of the way because I don't know about you. I suspect you share the same thought as me. I couldn't care less about the Ballon d'Or. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of individual awards in sports. But for anyone who hadn't made their mind up yet as to why Lionel Messi is the best player in the world, then last night is a perfect snapshot of that. And to be honest, I think if you... Uh, if you haven't already made your mind up in this debate, then you never will because it should be pretty clear cut to you. And that's all I have to say. It was a ridiculously good goal, not just for the, the actual technique and the execution of it itself, but also for where it happens in a game that really should have ended, if not now now, had it not been for Ter Stegen at the other end, probably in Atletico's favour for some of the, the more clear chances that went their way in the first half. And yet again, he just steps up and he, he dominates a match. Um, and decides the the outcome and I don't think there's anyone who does that as consistently as he does and I don't think that's a secret and, and especially talking about the consistency of it this guy has been scoring this exact same goal for over 16 17 years now and no one no one has figured out how to stop it because it's the same move the, the goal he scored yesterday that's the goal we've seen Messi score a million times I would like someone to take out all the times he scored that goal put it in a video and then just do a count on how many times he's done it because it must be over 100 times or something. Uh, and he's been doing that that same goal consistently for like 16, 17 years or even longer than that. And still no one has figured out how do you stop it because you can't. Okay, so I wanted to... Something that we've maybe not quite touched upon so far this year. We've had a little bit of discussion about the various coaches at the top of La Liga, but we've probably gone a little bit soft on Diego Simeone because they, they started well Atletico, they started the season well, but now they're sort of, I think we can say consistently enough have been underperforming that it's probably time to think about it. I was sort of pondering this last night. Is, is his magic fading a little bit? I mean, the, the, the sort of one thing you always expect from a Simeone team, right, is that whole intensity thing. That's like his motto. But no clean sheets in five league games in a row now. And they're conceding chances. That's the other thing. It feels like it's easier to create a chance against Atletico now than it ever has been. And then on top of that, his, his attacking changes aren't really working. I mean, you have probably the most expensive flop in the world who came on yesterday towards the end and gave away the ball, Thomas Lamar, leading to Barcelona's, Barcelona's goal. Where do we stand on Diego Simeone? Is, 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 are his powers waning somewhat? I, I think it has to do a lot with the changes because the thing is that before the season started we were talking a little bit about this is probably going to be a transition season for Atletico Madrid then we get into the season Barca and Real Madrid are, are so bad and you feel like this is Atletico Madrid's chance to they have a really good squad with players they have Diego Simeone uh, this is their chance to just go on and win the league and now they're fourth and it's very very disappointing but I think that what it comes down to is that Atletico Madrid were playing in a certain way for so long time with some of the same players and we got to a point where that has been working for a really long time. That's, that's brilliant, but you need to make the next step. And I think that's where they kind of come into something in between. So instead of sticking to what they are really good at and keep on 
on pondering that and instead of reaching that new level and finding a new way they're somewhere stuck in the middle which means that they are kind of left with neither of them and no one really knows exactly where they are standing and they don't really know exactly where they're mm. standing because they haven't really made the step because things have not really turned out i guess how how Simeone wanted them to um, and they are still not where they used to be so they're like in this middle space um, and I don't I mean Diego Simeone and what he's done for Atletico Madrid I think I don't think there is any coach who's changed the football club the way that he's done um, so I think you you need to have patience with him and this is what's supposed to be a transition year and maybe we should just let it be there that um, and see what they can figure out from it but but yeah it's definitely feels it's not the the same magical thing with Atletico Madrid anymore uh, and maybe they just like done the wrong decisions this this season yeah I think in terms of their consistency and their quality they'll have enough to to finish third still I don't think there's any risk of them finishing outside the top four which is like a, a somewhat dramatic suggestion I've heard some people saying last night because of the gap that's opened up but I, I think when it when it comes down to it they'll still have enough to get there but it reminds me a little bit of that season I think it was 2016 2017 there was a year where they started really really slow and then after Christmas, they clicked and pulled it back. Um, and I think, was that even, it might have been one of the years they got to the Champions League final, or they got to the semis at least. So I, I think they'll still, when, when it comes to when it comes to the final sprint, they'll have enough to get to, to achieve their like bare minimum uh, ambitions. But yeah, it's a little bit of a pity, because I think you're right. We, we, we thought that there might have been an opportunity there, but we probably didn't pay enough attention to the fact that they had a lot of stuff to get in order for themselves. There's some positives though as well. Like I wanted to say, Hector Herrera last night I thought was phenomenal. He's he's a kind of midfield player that we've not really seen at Atletico for quite some time. Like someone who can not only have all that like sort of intensity and and defensive um, protective quality, but also can dribble people, can get past them, can break lines, and he he looked really really encouraging and looks like an absolute bargain as well. Considering I'm pretty sure they got him on a free transfer. I don't think they paid for him at all. Um, and he's also the guy who, of all the midfielders that they brought in and all the midfielders they have in the book, who started the season furthest out of the pecking order, but has really fought his way in. And you can see he's someone who has what they call in, in Spanish jerarquía, who has like that character who can come in and impose himself on a game and impose himself in a difficult situation. I think there's, they're going to get a lot out of him, I have a feeling. And then Morata as well, I thought did really well. Didn't get the goal, but again, you can blame Marc-Andre Ter Stegen for that because it's a ridiculous save. But more or less every time he got the ball, and often not in good conditions, he did something with it. He got them up the pitch, or he held it up, or he flicked it onto a teammate. Which brings me to my next point. If, if there's one player who could come in and have a, an impact on that team and maybe get them to win something who is available, then for me, the gamble they need to take is on your all-time favourite footballer, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. The thing is with that, though, is it's very difficult since he's been playing in the US for LA Galaxy for uh, quite a while now to actually know. I mean, it's obviously Slatan has never actually disappointed in, in that sense. He always lived up to, to the standards, but he's been away from top level football for quite a bit now. And even though he's been dominating in LA Galaxy and MLS, it's still MLS. It's still very, very different level uh, from from what La Liga is, and especially a top club in La Liga, um, so it's it would be I would say it would be a little bit of a gamble. Oh, it be could a huge be one gamble. that would that would would turn out, but it could also be. Uh, and the thing is, also you have to remember with with this guy is that he's gonna be super expensive. Yeah. Even though it's the end of his career, even though he's been spending time in 
in a lower level for quite a while, it's going to cost a lot of money. So it's like a lot of money to put on a quite big gamble. Um, so I wouldn't do it, but, but that's just me. Here's my reasoning for it. So first of all, I think you're right. And to be honest, someone said to me last night, and I think they nailed it, like Simeone and Ibrahimovic is the, the partnership we deserved about five years ago. And that's true. Um, but they, they do feel like two people or two, two people whose approach to football complement each other really, really well the sort of intensity and the, I don't care if I'm not doing what you like me to be doing, I'm going to do it my way anyway, sort of attitude. Uh, it would be a massive risk, but here's the thing. It would be even more of a risk to keep Diego Costa on the books, to be collecting his massive paycheck and doing absolutely nothing week after week and probably ending the season injured than it would be to get rid of him right off his contract, offload his wage, and then bring in Zlatan for, let's say, a year, see what happens. Uh, I agree, though. I mean, it's, it's really hard to know what level he's been at. Although, with that in mind, considering the amount of goals that Atletico have not been scoring this season, I reckon what? If you brought him in, you're guaranteed at least, say, six league goals between between the winter and the end of the season. And In a worst-case scenario, he would get six. That's going to be six more than about 90% of their squad. So it might be of some use. It's not going to happen. I think he's going to go and comfortably retire in Serie A probably where he can live on his reputation but if he wanted the challenge and if uh, Atletico really wanted the, the potential to actually make a genuine impact and turn their season into something a little bit better than it's probably going to end up being which will just be I think likely third place and maybe a cup final if they get lucky um, then that's the risk I would take but I, I, anyway that's that's pure speculation based on absolutely nothing at all so we should move on to the facts and the facts are Athletic Club and Real Sociedad, the Basque Giants, are having a hell of a season, man. What a weekend for them. Who's been saying this all season since we started out? I I've been backing these two from the start because I feel if we take Athletic Club to start with, it just feels like even though they're the only club in La Liga that did no signings at all this summer. But it was because, as we talked about before, they felt... Also, of course, they have a different situation with the that we said a million times with only being able to sign Basques. They have a smaller uh, wide where, where they can find players. But it's also, I think, because it had such a strong group. There's one thing they, they would have be, would like to have signed, I think, is uh, someone who can actually score a lot of goals, uh, which is where, where the only where I would say they are lacking. But as a team, as the uni unity of that team, how confident they feel together uh, and when they are playing, it's no team for me in La Liga that I feel feel so safe when they play. Because if we take Real Sociedad, I think they play better football than Athletic. Um, but there you can see it's still such a young team. So at times, flaws can happen. And because they are so attacking forward, it's easy to uh, at times do, do mistakes at the back and, and things like that. So in that sense, Athletic feels more safe. But I would say Real Sociedad feels more like they can reach another level. Uh, but it's 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 two teams that are super super exciting for me this season, and I definitely think they're gonna be they're just consistent. Yeah, I can't I can't think of another season, or maybe when uh, I, I can't specifically remember how Athletic were doing the season the the last time Real Sociedad got into the Champions League, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't the case. I can't remember the last time that both of them were this good at the same time. Usually, one of them does well, and the other one kind of drops off a little bit. They tend not to for various reasons, I guess, because players moving and all kinds of things. But yeah, just before you move on, like on exactly that with both of them being so good, I think that just points out once again how extremely good the Basque area is in creating football players because uh, Athletic, as everyone knows, only has Basque players. 
Real Sociedad, they have a lot of Basque players, like the majority of their team, even though they have players coming from other places as well and can do signings. The majority of their team is Basque players. The majority of their team comes from the youth academy and the same at Athletic, which just shows, again, this incredible way that the, the, the Basque country are creating impressive football players. They're so well run. Actually, I was thinking about this at the weekend, that now as well with the new stadium, it finally feels that like Real Sociedad have that last piece in the puzzle to really rival Athletic for the whole experience as well, like the match day experience. Mm-hmm. Like now I'm looking at it, I'm like, I want to go to Anoeta now. I never felt like that about Anoeta before. And now I look at it with the football they're playing, I'm like, man, I want to be at that stadium. The same way that you feel about Sam Ames, even though it doesn't have the same you know, legendary status, but it's really nice to see. I have one minor complaint about Athletic though, and it's not their fault, but uh, the, the penalty at the weekend, the Granada yeah. penalty... Guys, I mean, I'll, I'll, you can say I, I won't foreshadow your opinion. Everyone's welcome to a different one. But I think if we're getting to the point where someone literally, and I mean literally their foot is three centimeters off the line at the point at which a ball is struck, no human being, no human being's brain can calculate that accurately enough as to avoid that kind of situation. So we might as well just put a bunch of robots on the pitch and then see what happens and have all matches simulated because if we're getting to that degree, if that's what we're using VAR for, then I'm out. Sorry. This is ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. I mean, on the subject of either of these teams getting the top four, which I think now looks like a real possibility, who do we think they could edge out? I mean, at the moment, it feels like Valencia are way, way off the chase. So that's the impression I get. Yeah, and Valencia even is always so chaotic in, in so many ways as a club, so even though... As we've said this a million times, that the the team, the players they have, and what they can produce when they play their best best matches, this is a team that should actually be up and and competing in the top of the league year out and year in. Uh, instead, there's always these drops during the season where just craziness goes on in the club and they they lose it for for different ways. So I I think because of what we were talking about with Real Sociedad and Athletic, that we feel the consistency going on with them. That's what you never get with Valencia. You can, from one, one week to another, you can get an incredible football team and then an awful football team uh, in the way they play. So therefore, I think Valencia is the easy bet to say uh, are the ones who, who might risk uh, losing that position. Um, and a team who incredibly defy my expectations, I don't know about yours, who look like they're going to be fighting up there with them for four spots, Hitafe. I don't know if you saw their game at the weekend, but I think this game was really indicative to me of why Hitafi are more than what maybe they're portrayed as. They're portrayed as being this ultra-defensive team, but actually I think they're a team who, when they attack, they do it really well and they have a habit of taking their chances. It's quite appropriately enough, it's in contrast to the way Atletico have been as of late. Hitafi have some very talented forwards in their team and some very talented creative players in their team, and because they're willing to put a shift in and do the hard work, you have a tendency to overlook that, but I'm super impressed with what they're doing. I thought that they would have a really hard time balancing the second season syndrome, if you like, and also the Europa League with the new expectations. But, I mean, they absolutely hammered Levante. I, I didn't see this game, but I heard some of it on the radio where I was in the taxi from the airport here in Madrid. But exactly what you're saying, that I think the thing that is so easy forgotten with, with Getafe is the attack. Because we always talk about the defence that is incredible. But this is if there's one thing that Athletic Club is missing, it's to have this, pure, this guy who scores the goals. At Hotafi, you have three, mm. uh, in the sense that you don't have, you can't actually know which two are starting because it's always going back and forth between the three because you have three that are constantly producing goals in Angel, Jaime Mata, and uh, Jorge Molina. 
Um, and even though they are all very old, so it's not going to go on forever. Uh, but for, for last season, the last two seasons and this season, um, all three of them, the, the, having not just one, not just two, but three that will produce the goals. So even though when you're such a defensive-minded team, you still get your goals because you have those three players. Um, and it's very, very easy to forget. But it, they, I think last season, especially Jorge Molina and Juan Mata was for a big part of the season, biggest, the best uh, duo when it yeah. came to assists and goals in the league. And then you looked at Angel and he wasn't far off them. So they actually like had three, which would you could put on put two of them together, whichever, and you would still have the the best duo or one of the top three duos in the entire league. And no one really speaks about that because you don't really speak about that attack when it comes to Rotafe, but they deserve that too. No, I think you're right, and that's the difference as well. The difference, the quality in their attacking play, not just in the actual players because they're really good, mm-hmm. but the quality of how they attack, which comes down to the coach is the difference between a team like them and a team like Leganes, for example, who are really hard to beat, but ultimately it feels like going forward is a little bit of an afterthought for them. But with Getafe, they, they really know how to hit you. And have a look if you haven't seen it yet, anyone who's listening and, and looking. It's not just because he's a former Girona player, and it's not just because he's a former Girona player who Girona should never have let go, but that's another subject for a different time. David Timor's uh, free kick for the last goal of the game underneath the wall is really beautiful. And that's a squad player for them as well, so it shows you the quality that they have and the depth that they have within reason for a fairly humble team. So now I think feels like an appropriate time to ask you about what you've been doing for the last few days. Because you have, it's not often there's a first for you any day uh, anymore in La Liga because you've been around for a while and you've been traveling around, but you had a first. I had a first, I had two firsts in two days. Um, so yeah, now I've been to almost every stadium in La Liga. Uh, there is four, I think, that I have not been to now. It was five. Um, but this weekend I went to Mallorca very, very shortly, so shortly that I realized when I was on the taxi to the airport that I saw the water for the first time. Uh, I didn't actually have time to go and see the water when I was on Mallorca. So I think that says quite a lot about the, the very shortness of my trip. Uh, but I went there to do, um, to do an d- interview with Diego Cervero, which I'll come into in the second part of, of this story. Uh, but after that, I went to, uh, to San Moich. How do you say it? San Moich? San Moich. San Moich? San Moich? Yep. You Catalan. Um, and I realized that I do understand, still understand Catalan quite, quite well. Mallorca, <laughs> Catalan is hard as well, so you're doing well. It's, it's different, yeah, but I, I understood it pretty, pretty well. I was like, yeah, still, still got some of it in my mind. Uh, and that was the first time I've been to Mallorca twice before. The first time when I was 10 years old, when I was very close at going to the stadium because Mallorca was playing Real Madrid in the Super Cup final. Is that the old stadium though? Or was it so much? Uh, I do not know. It was in 2003. So much then, I think. But it wasn't that long yeah. after they moved, I don't think. No. Um, and we realized too late that it was basically two days after we were leaving. Otherwise, we would have gone. Um, and that would have been my first stadium in Spain in that case. And now it's my uh, latest one. In... So uh, this was actually the first time I was able to go there and go to a game seeing um, Mallorca against Betis. And it was an insane amount of Betis fans there. Uh, I think there's quite a lot of them living on the island, but there was quite a lot of them traveling as well. I think it was at least 500 or, or more. Um, they had this entire preparation that I couldn't go to because I was away doing my interview. It ended up being very, very long. Uh, but they had like a, a meeting point for all the Peñas. They had a dinner. 
Um, they had a march to the stadium uh, that I saw some videos of that was quite impressive. Um, and they did quite a, a lot of noise during the match as well. Uh, but it was the, the thing with this stadium, um, like I said, it's the first time I'm there. I'm not a big fan, to be honest. Because you have the running tracks, which was the problem with uh, with Anueta before. Too big as well. Um, it's too big, and also it's too big. Like the stairs is too big because even though when I was looking on the other side of the stadium, if you looked at the seat, more of most of them were were taken, but it looked so empty mm. because the the stairs take up so much spo- space. So it looks like the, you could put in so many more people there if you yeah. just put seats. Uh, but as you say, it's too big as well. But there was uh, a lot of of uh, of people there, but it didn't feel like there was a lot of people there, uh, which is never good for a stadium. Anyway, so speaking of the game, um, it was uh, another win for for Betis, and the first half, I think, especially was was really good from from Ruby's side. Uh, I had Joaquin scoring just in front of me. I was like seeing Joaquin score in front of me. Um, and then, but the second half, I was not very impressed by Betis. They they dropped it a lot in the second half, and Mallorca got back into it and could easily have ended two two. Uh, they had some brilliant chances at the end. One thing that actually you made me think about when you mentioned Betis and with the amount of fans that were over there, I guess it's worth explaining this for people who probably don't understand. But if you ever wonder why Betis are given so much prominence in, in Spanish sports media, despite the fact that in a sporting sense, they don't generally achieve that much, it's because they are ridiculously well supported. I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think isn't it like the third or fourth best supported team in Spain in terms of Peñas and all that kind of thing. So there are Betis fans all over Spain and all over Spain in big numbers. So at pretty much any given Real Betis game, if away tickets are available, a decent number will take them up because they're a huge club in that sense just in terms of pure supporter numbers. And then the other thing about Mallorca, that I've, I've always thought that it sort of much looks terrible on TV for exactly that reason that you said, because it mm. looks super empty. I think, I mean, maybe some Mallorca fans can put me, can correct me on this, but I think the general consensus is that they preferred the old place, which was the Luis Sijar, I think it was called. And that um, that's like more of a tradition. It looks a lot like Montelivi, if you've seen Girona's Montelivi. It looks a lot like that, oh, yeah. but like with a bigger um, main stand. I don't think in general, despite the fact that the by far their most successful years came when they just moved into some mush, they were doing really well around about that time. I don't think they hold a particular amount of love for that stadium, or it doesn't feel to me anyway that there's a particular amount of love for it. But then Mallorca are also an odd club. I mean, they're they're having a bit of a rebound just now, but they they have a they have quite a they have a strong core of fans who will come to every game. But there's also a big sort of transient fan base that. When they're doing well, they'll turn up, but when they're doing badly, they won't. So it's not that unusual when things are going badly for them to see quite an empty stadium. Um, but just now, I mean, it was a bad result for them at the weekend, but they're, they're still around about where they would have expected to be. They're not in the relegation zone, or at least they weren't the last time I checked the results at the weekend. So they really shouldn't be complaining. But I want to know more about the other thing that you were doing in Mallorca, because I think this is a super important story that will... Tell us a lot about what it's like going to see football in Spain, even as a journalist who has access to a lot of resources and knowledge. Well, to start with, the reason I was in Mallorca uh, was actually not to go and watch Mallorca Betis, believe it or not, uh, even though I could have easily gone there just for that. It was to do an interview with uh, Diego Cervero for, my, for the book I'm doing about Real Oviedo. And for those who don't know who Diego Cervero is, to start with, his nickname is Doc, uh, which comes because he is, during his career, he's been simultaneously studying to become a doctor. Um, 
<laughs> so he's a, a doctor who plays football, basically. And he's never played higher than the Spanish third division. But I don't think there's any player that's never played higher than the Spanish third division that has a reputation and status as he has. He's the ultimate like journeyman, goes, you would say. Yeah, but when he when he goes back to Oviedo, when he returned, he's played for, he come, came up through the Oviedo Academy and he's played for them at three different occasions. Last time when he came back, it was like basically a hero's welcome. Like if 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 your club signed Messi, that's basically what was happening. And if you go to Oviedo, they have his face on t-shirts, on stickers, everywhere. This is one of the biggest legends of Real Oviedo's history. And he would never have played for them had it not been for, for the fact that they went down in the third, uh, fourth and third division. And he's been key in, in taking them up. Uh, so I went there to have an interview with him, which I have to say is one of the most incredible interviews I've ever had. It ended up being two hours long, Ooh. which is him telling me the most incredible football anecdotes and stories from his career with Oviedo. And in detail, he could like remember sentences other of the players told him in certain moments and, and feelings. And when he was talking, he's like crying, uh, like having, he, there was tears in his ear, eyes. And I've never met any football player who is as much of a supporter for their team as Diego Cervero is for, for El Oviedo, the way he talks about the club, the way it is. He was basically, when he was playing for the club, he was basically a fan, like the most biggest fan you can imagine, but on the pitch. Like Zlatan. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not really. Uh, so like the last few years when he's not been playing for, for Oviedo, he's playing for different Segunda B sides uh, around Spain. As soon as he can, uh, he has a little bit of free time and Oviedo is playing somewhere. He jumps into car or jumps on the on the train, goes to the games and watch them from the stands. So this is the biggest football fan of a club that you can find who ends up becoming this hero for the club because he... Uh, he was so important for him. And one of the stories he told me was actually about from Mallorca when he was playing with Real Oviedo against Mallorca's B team to win promotion to the third division. And it ended up with penalty shootout. And while he was telling the story, it was incredible. And that's like the first time where he started tearing up in his eyes. And he was telling about his dad being there, sitting with the ultras and going crazy and like the party afterwards and his dad couldn't stop drinking and going crazier and crazier is, is celebrating it uh, and he was talking about that penalty shootout and he said I, I normally discuss this with Santi Casorla because he, he, we talk about him doing the, the penalty shootout at the World Cup and then we can relate because it's the same thing because for me this this is my World Cup this is bigger than the World Cup for me is doing this penalty shootout with Real Oviedo was like doing it in, in what, what other players feel when they do it during the World Cup. So we had this, we discussed the feelings and, and everything uh, and compare it in, in that way. And this is a kid who, a guy who's like, there was never any in his mind that he never wanted to play for Barcelona, Real Madrid or anything like that. That was never the dream. It was to play for El Oviedo. So that's just a little bit background on him. Um, but there is so much more. Um, anyways, so that's why I was there and that was just an in, incredible interview to do. So the day after uh, Mallorca Betis, uh, his team where he's playing now, Atletico Baleares, they are, they are playing in the, in the Segunda B. They're actually topping it together with Atletico Madrid's B team. They're on the same points, I think, um, in Group A, Group 1, sorry. Um, so they were playing in Celta's B team, which is a good coincidence uh, for a Vigo person that I've become. Uh, so I was going to the game and I was thinking, okay, well, 
it's a segunda B game. I'm not going to go for an accreditation. It feels a little bit over the top. I'm just going to go there, buy a ticket, go in. Uh, I wake up quite late. The game is at 12 and I'm just super tired in the morning. And I, my first plan was, okay, I'm going to go and get some money out. Yes, to have extra money in case because I don't know what the tickets are going to be. Uh, I don't know if they're going to take card uh, or not. And then I'm just super tired, realize like, ah, look in my wallet, okay, I have a 10 euro, some coins, that should be enough. Uh, go back to sleep for a little bit, take, my, take a taxi because it's like quite far out to get to the ground. It's next to Ikea, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Do they play a flat pack for it? No, man. Uh, I get there um, just in time, like it's 10 minutes to kick out or something. I go to the little, little box to buy my ticket. I ask them the price. I said, like, okay, we have for 20 euros and for 15 euros. And I was like, shit, let's hope I have 15 euros. To to be clear, this is the third tier, right? Segunda B. Yeah, so this is Segunda B. 15 euros for the cheapest ticket. So I take off my wallet, I have the 10, and then I look for the coins, and I have uh, like 250. So I have 12.50, and they're like, no. Sorry. Uh, and then I ask, so where's the closest uh, ATM? And he's just laughing at me. He's like, yeah, that's, that's very far away, <laughs> basically. Um, and I'm like, shit, how am I getting into the game? And then it's like, well, I just have to, to walk and get to the closest ATM, take up it on my Google Maps. And it's like a 20 minute walk or more. So I go around the stadium and you have to cross a bridge. And the thing is that when you're on the bridge, because it's a bridge that goes over the motorway, on the bridge, you can actually see the entire pitch. So I could have just, a normal person would probably just have stopped there. Okay, I'm just going to stand here and watch the game. Have the radio on. Exactly. And I was like, nah, I want to do the the real experience. I go on my walk. uh, I get, after 20 minutes, I get to the ATM and it's broken. Oh, come on, Spain. Uh, It was actually two there. Both of them were broken. Uh, So I started walking a little bit more and then I found another one. I got my money out. My idea was like, if I see a taxi, I'm just going to take the taxi back to get there as quick as possible. I don't obviously see any taxi. Uh, I end up coming back and it's while I'm walking by like one of the walls, I can't see the pitch. I hear them scoring and everyone going crazy. I was like, fuck. Uh, And I get into the, to the stadium. After it's 35 minutes played, it's already 2-1. Um, and I'm like, that's all the goals. Because normally, when it's 2-1, you feel like, okay, they've scored quite a lot of goals. There's probably not going to be more goals in this game. Luckily for me, there was. Because it ended up being a 6-1 victory for the, for the home side. Uh, not a very nice trip back to Vigo for, for the Celta boys. But... The big thing was that, so during the season, Diego Severus barely played. He's, I looked it up, he's played like three matches. So I wasn't really expecting to get to see him play. But he starts warming up. And first I get like excited, okay, he's going to come on. And he warms up just in front of me. Uh, and then there's already like three guys warming up before him. So there's four people warming up. Not everyone is going to come on. Uh, and then he just warms up for such a long time and so intensively. Like, I've never seen anyone warm up in that way. It was like, to, to a point where I started thinking, well, he's, he, he, maybe it's just that he's not going to play and he knows it. So he's just having a training session instead while the game is going on. Uh, because I, this is also, like, I know about him is that he's a hyper-active uh, guy. So he's always, like, if, if he doesn't have training sessions, Silo told me that he, when he lived in Madrid, he was always playing paddle with anyone who he could find who would play paddle with him because he just needs to do stuff all the time. Um, so I was starting to think maybe he's just having a training session on his own because 
but he ended up coming on. But when he came on, he was completely wet of sweat <laughs> from his warm up, <laughs> which tells you a little bit about this guy. And then he come, came on and he played like uh, 12 minutes or something, but they scored two goals when he was on. Um, and they won 6-1. So it was, a, it was a good experience in the end. But I don't think there's a lot of people who went to as much effort as I did to watch a Segunda B match. But these are the stories that you will look back on. And it's kind of, this sums up the whole Spanish football experience, I think, as well. Because the, the sheen and like the veneer of professionalism at the top level quickly falls apart the second you go even a rung down. It can get pretty ropey. But it's worth it in the end, right? Yeah, 100%. And it was, it was really good weather as well. The sun was shining. I was sitting without a jacket on the 1st of December. just like in the sun, enjoying a game yeah. of football. So it's it's totally worth it. Mallorca really would not be the worst place to live, especially if uh, if Mallorca in the top flight. And hey, who knows? Maybe Athletic Baleares can get to the Segunda A one day. But I think anyway, we, we should probably wrap up our diversion onto the architecture of football stadiums because we've probably put just about anyone else who was still listening to sleep and say goodbye for this week we have some cool things coming up in the next couple of weeks that are going to make your festive period so much more exciting oh by the way happy first of advent i guess it's late but yeah that's a thing in honor of athletic barriers i guess we should sign off and say adeo except in a mallorcan mallorcan accent so i guess it'd be like adeo okay. Okay. Okay.